Let us pray. Lord, you know us, and you know that we like to talk many times, easily to share our thoughts, our opinions, share our minds with people. You know that it is not always that easy for us to listen. Because we are so busy with ourselves and our own needs that we many times miss what is right in front of us. That may be true also in our relationship with you. That we would like to talk to you and tell you many things about our life and what we need and how it should be. And we may miss your word and what you are trying to tell us. So we come to church today and we visit online and be a part of this worship service because we actually realize, but it can't be all about me and all about my needs and my importance and the things that I need in life. I need to actually hear what God wants me to know about himself also. Thank you for your patience, for always being there, even though we are not always treating you like you are God. But now we are here, and I ask, O oh Lord, that through the words I need to share today and from this amazing story that we find in the Bible, that we will today hear what you actually want to tell us, and for a moment not to make it about us, about only our needs. But what does God want from me and this congregation? So bless us, O oh Lord, please. We are your children, and we came today and are ready to just listen for a moment. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. How many times more will you turn on your TV and see this? Isn't it true that you and I sometimes when we see this sort of are are getting exhausted of all the destruction. You know, another tornado came through, another hurricane came through, and you and I who live in Orlando, we know hurricanes. Most of us have experienced it, experienced it in some way, shape, or form in our lives here. And every time when I see this, I, I, I ask myself the question, but, but what about God in the midst of all of this? You know, we pray, Lord, please take the storm away from us, but then the storm goes to Mississippi. Or to Texas. What have they done wrong, you know? Please keep this disaster away. But it sometimes will go then somewhere else. Lives are broken. Lives are lost. People are in despair. Uh, recently, I think with the last storm, they spoke to a person on TV, and this lady was actually weeping. She said, you know, we've lost so much. And our neighbors have lost so much. And she was weeping. And I thought to myself, God, why can't you stop this now? Because if I were God, I would, if I could. Today we're going to continue with our story, Jonah's story. I think one of the most fascinating books in the Bible that is written in such a clever way that it's so filled with truth that we will probably still hang out with this book for a little, a little bit longer. But today in the story of Jonah, we're going to be in a storm. And we're going to discover something about the storms that God provides. And maybe it's his fault or not. Let's figure out. Jonah chapter 1 verse 4 through 6. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. 
Then the mariners were afraid and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had laid down, was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. This is the word of our Lord. God hold the storm. This is what makes this book so great. The Hebrew in it. The word for hull is actually with purpose and direction. It's like throwing a rock, a javelin, a spear, whatever. It's, I'm picking up this thing, and I'm going to throw it with a purpose there. Not there, but actually looking at a direction intent. So the Bible tells us that God actually threw the storm on the ship and on the ocean around where Jonah was. The reader of this book, in the old days, the Jews, were immediately reminded of Psalm 100. And 35, the Lord does whatever pleases Him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all the depths. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from His storehouses. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt, the firstborn of people and animals. He sent His signs and wonders in your midst. The first readers of the book of Jonah. God holds a storm. Who is this God that we are talking about? And then the psalmist reminds us, he's the God that actually owns it all. He's the one that owns the lightning, the storms, the wind, everything that's going on around us. So actually, he's the one that has it. So God is the one to blame because he's doing this. He can. He could. Stop if he wanted to. The ship threatens to break up. Again in Hebrew, the ship is personified. The ship, you know, if you, if you take that word in Hebrew, it actually says, the ship is saying, I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. What have you done to me? The ship is like talking. He says, I can't take it anymore because of what is going on here. Why am you, are you putting me through this? I've done nothing to deserve this, and I can't keep this together. I may completely fall apart. That is what the word in Hebrew actually means. When the ship says, I'm threatening to fall apart. I can't take it anymore. So what does this remind us of when we read this? What you will find in the book of Romans. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not of its own will, but the will of the one who has subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. The ship complaining what is being done to it, and it doesn't, so the, the story tells us, it doesn't understand why it needs to go through this because of something that humans are doing. The creation, groaning, according to the book of Romans, in labor pains almost, because of what we are doing as humans, and how our actions actually also have a role to play on the suffering then of this earth. 
But the story continues. It's all about Jonah. The men were even more afraid. They said to him, what is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Now, now I'm a bit stuck. I, I, I'm really a bit stuck. This Jonah is useless. With respect, he's, he's an idiot. Jonah is useless. In a sense, in his faith, he's weak. In, a, in his person, he may be somewhat weak. He's running away. God is sending him there. He's going in this direction. Jonah is really at this point not, I think, a guy that I would bet my money on. He's the last horse in the race that I would like to be a part of my team. And then he's also not only running away, weak in his faith, weak in his person, weak in everything. He's lying asleep. He's completely disconnected to everything that's going on around him because he's now sleeping. He's now, he's now in the hole. Why can't God, God just choose another person? There are thousands of Jews living in Jerusalem and in Israel. God could have chosen any one of those that seems to be a better option than this guy that is actually not doing that well. So I ask myself the question, Lord, why this guy? It seems to me that he's not the best guy, but you still are going with him. There are so many others. Why are you sticking with this Jonah, with this Jonah guy? When, when God said, go to Nineveh, Jonah was going in the, in the, in the 180 degrees in the, in the opposite direction. God could have said, okay, let him go. Shush, shush, there you go. And said, hey, 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 I would like you to go. And he would take this one and say, go to Nineveh and do this. Why all this rubbish, a storm, all this crisis because of this guy? The answer is there. We have here the story of the gospel. We have here the story of the gospel. We have here the story of this turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. The story of the gospel is the story of God looking at people on this earth and He knows that they need to be saved. It's a story of God knowing that the only help that there is for people on this earth is Him. And the only way that God can reach people on this planet is through His own people. That He calls to do the work that God wants them to do. But the story of the gospel always starts with sin. Always. The problem is, and I think I've said this a few times in the past, the problem with the modern church is that we disconnect the gospel with this part of what the gospel is actually all about, and that's about sin. People do not want to hear about sin. They do not want to know that they are doing anything wrong. It's never me. It's always something else and someone else. It is God. It's not me. God is to blame. He's the one why this world is such a mess, because if He could, He could stop it. Yeah, He could. But why doesn't He stop it? Because of this. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you was taken. You are dust, the dust you shall return. Genesis 3. And the Lord was sorry that He had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I've created. Genesis 6. And why did God say that? Because the people were terrible. They were evil. They were horrible. 
They did exactly the opposite of what God intended them to do. They threw away every single thing that God gave them to play with and to have and to fill their lives with. And they said to God, you disappear. We are going to do whatever we want to do. And God said, that is not the world I want you to live in. But if that is the world you want, you will have it. You will have it. God created us to be in the garden. God created us to be in, the, in His presence. God created us that He could put His arms around us and prevent us from having any issues in this world. No illness, no death, no pain, no suffering, no nothing. Just goodness because God is good. But what, we, what have we done? And we can't only blame Adam and Eve because we are doing the same stuff every day. We in a sense say to God, I want to do it on my own and I don't need you to give me any guidance because I think I know enough. And God promised Adam and Eve, He said, when you guys do this, if you walk away from us, from me, you're going to create a world that is not my world. It's your world. A world where there will be dust and weeds, chins bucks, mosquitoes, tornadoes, and hurricanes, fires, crises, illness, death, despair. Because that is a world without God. That is a world without God. So every time when I turn on my TV and I see the brokenness of a world where a storm came through, I remind myself, that is not what God wants. Maybe he allowed it for some reason, but that is not what God wants. He wants you and me to be in the garden. But sometimes, maybe more times than we can imagine, there's a reason for the storm. But what is the problem with Jonah? He's in, this lay, he's in the hold of the ship laying down to sleep. In this broken world, God has only the people that he has called to go and tell the world there's an answer. For some reason, God decided, Jonah, I want you to go and do this. Not Peter, not Paul, not anyone else. Jonah, you are the guy that needs to go and do this job for me. And God wants him to do this and no one else. And what does God want him to do? God wants him to go and tell someone about who God is. We'll get to that maybe a week or ten weeks from now. The shortest sermon ever preached. Man, oh man, that's, that's really the shortest sermon ever preached. But he had to go and preach a very short sermon. And where is he? He's asleep. When I read this, I realized that's the church. He represents the church of God at that point in the ship. He's in the hull asleep, and he's the guy that's supposed to tell the people about God. And he's asleep. And why is he asleep? Because fleeing from God is exhaustive. If you run from God, you are tired. Because God will relentlessly chase you. He will not let go of you. And I think, I think for a moment there might have been a little bit of faith here at this point in Jonah's life. When that storm came, I think he realized, I, I, I can't do anything about this anymore. God's got me. God's got me. I just now need to see what is going to, how this is going to pan out or play out because God's got me. What does he tell us about the people on the ship? 
when the storm came, the mariners were afraid and all each cried to their God. We Americans, not we, the others there, they have this thing to say, oh my God. We don't say this, we are Christians. You say it when you are calling on God, but it can't be part of your vocabulary. Not as a Christian. But in the world that we live, you hear this a lot when you talk to people. Oh my God! Breaks my heart when I hear it. When there's a crisis, I was watching something where there was a crisis. I can't remember what the issue was. And the person in the background was saying it 25 times. Oh my God, oh my God. And I thought to myself, Jonah. Jonah. These guys are in crisis. And now suddenly they need a God. And they had God, but their own God. That's the problem. We all create our little God that we think is the God of the universe and when we are in crisis, we want Him to come and help us, but the real God we ignore. We don't care about the real God, but I've created this image of God that is someone somewhere doing His thing there. I can continue to live my life as I please, as if He does not exist, but when I'm in crisis, oh my God, you need to come now and fix this for me. The second thing, they threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea. So what do we do when we are in crisis? We try to fix it. So we try all kinds of stuff to see if we can resolve this. The 30 best self-help books. I do not know them. I haven't read them. I've got one book that I read. It's a really good self-help book, and this is this one. But in this world where we now live that is broken, that is falling apart, that there are storm and storm coming over the people in this world that we live in. It's political storms. It's financial storms. It is... It is this COVID crisis storm. It is relationship issues. You can continue. It's storms that people are facing, and they are all trying to find out, what can I do to fix this? So I throw tons of money into going to this course, or going to do this, or trying to read this book, or going to this person that I think can help me. At some point, I was absolutely shocked to hear how many people think that Oprah is the best place or person to go to if you need help. By reading all the book and the magazines and this stuff. Dr. Phil, well, he may be a good psychologist, but is he the guy to give you really answers to life? What does he know more than you and I really know about life? I also have a degree in psychology. These guys start to throw stuff overboard. Because that's what the world does. We try to fix it ourselves. Oh my God, okay, let me do this. Let me try this. Let's see if that can work. The captain came to Jonah and said, what are you doing? Get up. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we may not perish. You see, at some point when the world gets tired of finding a solution that's not working, they turn to God. They turn to seek the answer. Do you know how many people have stumbled into my office? In the last 20 years I've been here in the 18 years I worked as a pastor in South Africa. That stumbled into my office and said to me, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. I've tried everything. Maybe here is the answer. You know how many people have walked through these doors on the Sunday and they came to this church because they saw the sign outside or whatever called them here 
and they came to this place because they have tried everything and they discovered, but nothing really works. The world can't give you the answer that the world thought out because the answer doesn't lie with the world, it lies with God. We were away now for a week, my wife and I and our kids. Um, it was really a good vacation. But we were there in North Carolina, close to Asheville, that Asheville area, and we were driving around at some point, my kids mentioned or commented on the many churches there. We turned around the corner, a little church, turned around the corner, a little church. I, I forgot to take a picture of a beautiful little white church there that's a fantastic building with a little thingy there. And I thought to myself, why are all these churches here? And I'm not sure how well they are attended. But they all stand there, and I remind myself, but Jonah, this is in a sense the, the place that God wants to be there for the world to find the answer. That's why we are here. That's why we are here. I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll. It's seven seals. The book of Revelation is an amazing book. It tells us the story of God's involvement with the world and His church. The book of Revelation, the elders are always the representatives of the church. John is standing there. He knows that, in a sense, he has, he has no answer. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He feels like us many times. He looks at the crisis. He looks at this TV screen, and it's just a mess. And he's crying. He says, I have no way to know what is going to happen in this world. Who is in control? Is it God or Satan? And then an elder comes to him. The church of Jesus Christ. You and me. And touches John that's weeping on his shoulder and says, we have the answer. The answer is the lamb out of the, the lion out of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. But the lamb slaughtered in a different place. He's the answer. He's the answer. So what do we have here in Jonah? And I'm now almost done. God's passion to save. God will not stop to save people. That's why time still continues. That's why the second coming has not yet taken place. That's why the world is still continuing to orbit and doing its thing as it should, because God is giving us time, because people want, God wants people to find Him. The only way that God can find people is through other people. That's how God is doing His work, through the people that preaches and through His Word. That's the only way that God does this. So now I ask myself the question, if God could choose another one, but He decided to choose Jonah, what has God chosen me for? Who has God chosen me for? Think about that for a moment. Did God choose me only for you guys? Or for you watching? Or is there someone else in my life that God has chosen me for that I have been running away from to share what God wants them also to know? You see, this fleeing is very difficult. It's exhausting. It's, it, it's, 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 it's difficult. Um, how many times have I left a place and I thought to myself, Freddie, you should have said something. I should have not been silent. 
but I was silent. Because for a moment I was disconnected to what my calling is, and I got disconnected and I was half asleep because I was hiding from the storms around me that I maybe didn't want to be a part of. And maybe that's why the church fell silent in the modern age here in America because the church is disconnected to the world and its crises and the church doesn't want to know about the storms and all this stuff. We are just hiding in the hole because I think, well, God will sort this lot out. Can't keep, can't, can't keep quiet. Jonah had to get out of the hole that's next week and he had to share with these guys what was going on and then we know that they had to throw him overboard. But we'll get to that later on. So I asked myself the question, so God, where's you calling me for? Is there someone else still that I need to do? Am I disconnected to that person? Am I disconnected to what's happening in that life of that person and not saying what I'm supposed to say because God is not going to send someone else. It's me. It's only me. My final slide. So, no, second final slide. I forgot to look on my paper, my paper. I should have had this one up where I was talking now. Maybe I should redo it all. No. <laughs> this one is just to say that maybe in that workspace where I work, there are people encountering storms, threatening to fall apart, seeking answers. And you and I are placed there by God because we are the only one with the answer. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up, rebuked the wind and the raging, raging waters. The storm subsided. All was calm. The picture is from a different story. You know, Peter, Peter tried to walk on water, and that didn't really work out well for him. But I combined these two things, the scripture of one story with the picture of a different story. Because all of them had to do with the storm. All of them had to do with the ocean. All of them had to do with people falling apart and people not doing well. And who is in the midst of all of this? The only holy living God that says, at the end of the day, I can calm your storm. And I want to be with you and I want to save you and help you. Did Jesus calm all storms? No. Will he calm all storms? No. That's not his intention because sometimes through the storm, people will try, start to cry out. And if the church does a job, they may find the God they are looking for. Amen.